Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The next passage we're going to read together comes from John chapter 20, and we're going to read verses 19 to 23. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you behold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And this is the word of God. Our Father who is in heaven, we thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. God, we pray that as we come to this last sermon, as we hear about your plans and purposes for this world and how we are invited to participate in this. We pray that you would comfort us, that you would stir us and challenge us, uh, that as we consider your mission in this world, that we would be glad uh, to be part of it. Uh, We pray that you would help us to understand more about your triune sending, and we pray, Father, that this would give you much glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, There are certain words uh, that always get some sort of reaction depending on the context. So words like sale or discount or cashback or free shipping uh, automatically grab your attention while you're scrolling through the iconic or or Instagram or wherever it is that you shop these days. Uh, Words like traffic or delays or accident ahead fill you with frustration uh, when you're driving on the roads and you're already running late to your next thing. Words like delay or final call or bomb incite panic when you're at the airport. There are also certain Christian words that always get some sort of reaction. And the Christian word I want to talk uh, about today is the word mission. Uh, what's your reaction when you hear this word, mission? Uh, why, don't you, why don't you have a quick chat with the people around you? What, what is your reaction? What is, be honest, right? What is your reaction when you hear the word mission in a Christian context? Chat with the people around you and I'll bring us back in a little bit. All right, let's come back. Um, uh, if, you're, if you're not a Christian, then the word mission might uh, not mean much to you. Uh, in a Christian context, you might just think of like Mission Impossible, you know, your mission if you choose to accept this, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but if you're a Christian, then you understand that uh, there, there's things that we understand when we hear the word mission, uh, and uh, we might have certain reactions to it. Uh, and the reaction that you have to the word mission might be similar to the reaction you have to the word 
evangelism. Uh, See, both mission and evangelism are broadly, uh, in a Christian context, about the act of sharing the gospel with unbelievers uh, and seeking to lead them to a personal faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, uh, Christian mission is often broader than just evangelizing, just uh, preaching the gospel. Uh, we often use the word mission to speak about uh, just gospel work in general, in, in places other than within our church. So people are on mission because they're doing uh, gospel work in places elsewhere. And we refer to people who are on mission as missionaries. Uh, but sometimes we also talk about being on mission as a church, here locally, in St. Lucia, in Brisbane, or wherever it is that you live and work uh, and play. Either way, the end goal uh, is the same for both mission and evangelism. Uh, Being on mission means proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, or in other words, evangelizing, or or being involved uh, in making that work sort of happen so that people would believe in him would be saved and have true and eternal life. So what's your reaction when I mention the word mission? Maybe you feel a bit of guilt. Uh, You know that mission isn't a very high priority in your life at the moment. Uh, You've been busy at work, it's been crazy at home, cost of living is rising, exams are coming up, your social calendar is packed, Life is just very hectic right now. All of, it, all, of, all of that stuff in your life is distracting you from evangelizing your family and friends. It's distracting you from praying for missionaries. Uh, it's distracting you from budgeting your giving towards church, towards overseas missions, towards uh, all these other ministries that you could be supporting. Maybe you feel a bit of guilt. Or maybe you respond uh, to the word mission with fear. You know, the thought of telling someone you know that you're a Christian, just, just, just the thought of telling someone uh, that you're a Christian, uh, not to mention talking to them about Jesus, uh, that makes you very anxious. Uh, you don't want to be that crazy Jesus person in the room, uh, especially when the conversation turns to difficult topics like sexuality or abortion or euthanasia. You're afraid that you might lose credibility with your friends or that your family might disown you for being too Christian. You're afraid that people will think that you hate them because you're trying to share the gospel with them. Maybe you respond with fear, with anxiety. Or maybe when you hear the word mission, you just feel powerless. You've had the same conversation over and over again with your non-Christian father, and he's just as stubborn as ever. You keep inviting your colleagues to church or to other uh, Christian events, but they always laugh, and they say it's not for them. You've explained the gospel so many times to your best friend, but they just keep chasing after the things of the world. No matter how passionate or persistent you are, you've never been able to lead someone you care about to faith in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you feel powerless. What's your reaction to mission? 
What's my reaction to mission? If I'm honest, I felt all of those things, guilt, fear, powerlessness in my time as a Christian. In fact, I still feel those things, even though I'm meant to be a Christian pastor. As you know, we spent the last five weeks exploring the doctrine of the triune God uh, and exploring it through His actions in the world. Uh, And just quietly, uh, I was glad that this week's topic was originally allocated to Pastor Steve, because thinking about mission and evangelism uh, brings up those feelings of guilt and fear and powerlessness for myself. But then, in God's providence, I got sick last week, and so Steve took over last week, and then we swapped topics, and so here I am preaching to you about mission. And so let me say that what I preach to you today, I'm preaching just as much to myself. Now, as we, as we do this, I'm going to assume that we all understand that mission and evangelism are absolutely critical in the Christian life. Now, if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and I hope you see that uh, mission is one of the things that Christians just do. Uh, we do it because we want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see people saved. And so if you're, you're not yet a Christian, at least I, I hope that you at least see that and appreciate uh, that to be an expression of love, not a desire just to be annoying or to be that person that, you know, just tries to Bible bash people. But I'm just going to assume for all of us here that we understand that mission and evangelism are absolutely critical in the Christian life. You can't be a Christian and not agree with the necessity of preaching the gospel to the lost and the unreached. You can't be a Christian and not desire more people to repent of their sins and come to a saving faith. You can't be a Christian and not pray for and support missions. And so today, I'm just going to assume that we know how important mission is. And so I'm not going to talk about the importance. I'm not trying to convince you that mission is important. I'm just going to assume that we agree that mission is of the utmost importance. But this sermon is a sermon about mission, uh, and it's the last sermon in our series on worshipping the triune God. And so what I will try and do this morning is to help us see that Christian mission is ultimately God's mission. And like all of God's actions in the world, it is an action which is triune. And I hope that understanding the triune nature of God's mission will help us. It will help us overcome our own feelings towards mission. It will help us empower us to embrace and delight in God's mission for ourselves. So that's, that's, my, that's my broad goal. I hope, I hope we get there. Now, before we go any further, I just need to clarify that the word mission comes, uh, the English word mission comes from the Latin word uh, missio, which means an act of sending. So a mission is ascending. If someone is on mission, uh, if someone is a missionary, it literally means that they are sent. And so when we speak then of God's mission, we are talking about what God is seeking to achieve in the world through his triune act of sending. His triune act of sending. And today we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the triune God who sends. Now, in the second Bible reading that Alice read out for us in John 20, we read of three sendings. Um, 
I, I, I originally did this, but I, I normally draw on this, but I forgot to do that. So you're just going to have to imagine that I'm drawing on it. You know, the, there are three sentences. Can you, can you see them there? Uh, you see there in verse 21, the Father sends the Son, Jesus. That's the first sending. The second sending uh, is in verse 22, in the second half. Jesus sends the Spirit from the Father. And then the third sending, Jesus sends his disciples in the Spirit. Do you see, do you see those three sendings there in, the, in these verses? The Father sends the Son, Jesus. Jesus sends the Spirit from the Father. And Jesus sends his disciples in the Spirit. Now we're going to look closer into each of these three sendings. And we're going to see what each of these sendings, each of these missions, shows us about God's plans and purposes for the world. So that's my plan. Uh, so firstly, the Son is sent by the Father. Now it's crucial that we start here because this is the most important sending. All of God's other sendings flow out of this sending. Without this sending, there would be no other sendings. So this is, this is important. So the question that we have is, why does the Father send the Son? Why does the Father send the Son? Well, the answer is love. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Turn with me your Bibles there to John chapter 3, back to the beginning of uh, the Gospel of John. And read with me from verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See here, the motivation behind God's mission in the world is his love for the world. Now, remember what we've learned about the triune God. Uh, the triune God is complete and perfect within himself. Uh, we've learned over the last few weeks that because God is triune, he has no need to create the world. And he has no need to save the world because he is complete within his... He doesn't need the world to, to satisfy or complete himself. He is complete in himself. He is perfect love within himself. He doesn't need to create. He doesn't need to save. Which means that his love for the world is completely unnecessary. Which also then means that it is completely genuine. It means that it is completely unconditional. He doesn't need us, which means he does it out of his own free will, out of his own good pleasure. His love for the world is genuine, it's unconditional, it's totally free. And how does God demonstrate this love for the world, this free love for the world? Well, the Father sends the Son. And the Father sends the Son to save the world. Have a read uh, on in verse 17. Verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The results of the Father sending the Son 
is that those who believe in him might be saved and might have eternal life. Of course, the way in which the Son is sent into the world is that the Son takes on flesh and becomes incarnate as the human man, Jesus. And he is sent with a specific mission. The mission is that he is sent to accomplish the work that his Father gave him to do by becoming obedient to death on a cross. The Son is sent to save the world by dying for it. And in dying for the world, he gives eternal life to those who entrust themselves to his loving sacrifice. The Father sends the Son because he loves the world, because he wants to save the world. And what the Son does in his sending is that he dies for the world so that people might have eternal life. So why is it important that we start here with the Father sending the Son? Well, because from it we see that God's mission ultimately is to save the world. But we also see that the most important and most difficult part of that world's salvation has already been accomplished by Him. See, no one else could die for the sins of the world. He doesn't send any of us to die uh, because our death wouldn't save the world. Instead, He sends Himself. He accomplishes the work of the gospel in Himself and by Himself. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that God doesn't need us to save the world. God doesn't need us to save the world. The Father's sending of the Son shows us that the salvation of the world does not depend on you. And so our feelings towards God's mission will not change its outcome. Because in sending Jesus, God has already accomplished salvation. God has already accomplished eternal life. God has already saved the world by sending His Son, Jesus. And this frees us. It frees us from feeling that the burden burden is on us to accomplish God's mission. I wonder wonder whether sometimes we just feel overwhelmed by uh, God's mission because we feel that it is up to us to be the Savior. We're reminded by Jesus that He is the one who is sent by the Father to save the world. The Son is sent to accomplish the gospel. The job of Savior is already taken. And so if the gospel is already accomplished, what is there left to do? Well, the gospel may be accomplished, but it is still to be declared. It is still to be proclaimed so that those who need saving can hear that the gospel has been accomplished, so they can hear uh, that there is salvation, and they can respond by believing in the Savior, Jesus. And that's where we come in. We are sent not to accomplish the gospel, but to proclaim its message to the world. Uh, But before we are sent... Uh, Jesus sends someone else. 
in anticipation of sending us to proclaim this message, Jesus sends the Spirit from the Father. In anticipation of sending us, Jesus sends the Spirit from the Father. Now, why is sending the Spirit necessary? Why, why couldn't Jesus just send us to preach the gospel? Why does he need to send the Spirit? Well, to answer that, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 15. So uh, forward a couple of pages to John chapter 15. Now, if you've been, uh, you've been coming along to our grow groups in the last term, then uh, you'd know that we've been studying John chapters uh, 14 to 17 recently. Uh, and John 15, obviously, falls within uh, these uh, chapters. And, and in these uh, chapters, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a conversation, it's a discussion uh, between Jesus and his disciples on the night before he was to be betrayed. And in this conversation, Jesus is comforting his disciples uh, because he's telling them that he's about to go and die. And he's comforting his disciples, and he tells them that uh, once he leaves to accomplish his mission, to accomplish the gospel, uh, the disciples will be left with the task of proclaiming this gospel to a hostile and uh, a world that hates them. And so in the midst of this hostility, Jesus promises to send a helper. Uh, have a read there uh, in chapter 15. Read with me from verse 26. Uh, Jesus uh, has just said that, you know, the world is going to hate you. You're going to... It's going to be a really bad time. But he says, don't worry, there's a helper coming. And when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So what does, uh, what does Jesus promise the Spirit will do? He promises that the Spirit will bear witness to Himself. The Spirit will bear witness to Jesus, just as the disciples are to bear witness to Jesus, to bear witness to His gospel. Uh, and in the verses following in chapter 16, Jesus expands on what this looks like. Uh, the Spirit will bear witness to Jesus by, uh, by helping to guide people into the truth, by helping to convict the world of the truth. Uh, you see, Jesus knows that the task of proclaiming the gospel will be difficult and challenging. The world is going to hate on the disciples. It's going to be very tempting uh, amidst all of that hostility uh, for the disciples to just walk away from it all. And so Jesus comforts the disciples by reassuring them that they will not be alone. He will send his spirit to help them. You see, sending the Spirit is necessary because the world is so hostile to God that upon hearing the gospel, the gospel that the Son has accomplished, they will fail to recognize it for the good news that it is. It's not enough for just someone to hear the gospel explained. And we know this, right? You explain the gospel to someone, uh, you don't just expect them to go, oh, yes, I'm going to believe in Jesus. No, if, if all you had to do was explain the gospel, then all we need to do is make sure that everyone has explained the gospel at least once. We do that to every single person in the world, and everyone will be saved. No, that's not how it works. 
because our hearts are so far gone that not only does the Father need to send His Son to fix our heart problem, but the Father and the Son need to send the Spirit to show us that our hearts have a problem in the first place. And the Father and Son need to send the Spirit to guide us to our heart's only solution, the gospel of Jesus. And so Jesus sends the Spirit because the world is so hostile to the gospel that it can't even uh, detect and understand the goodness of its news. But not only is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who hear the gospel, He is also at work in the hearts of those who proclaim the gospel. You see, the hearts which are inclined to ignore the gospel are also the same hearts which are hesitant to proclaim the gospel. Not only do you need the Spirit to recognize the good news of the gospel, but you need the Spirit to help you see that the gospel is still worth proclaiming despite the hatred you will receive from the world. And so Jesus sends the Spirit. The Son is sent to accomplish the gospel, and the Spirit is sent to declare the gospel, to draw people to it, to call people to it, to help people see its goodness, to help people see that it is worth proclaiming. Do you understand what this means? It means that God is active at every stage of gospel proclamation, from compelling and enabling the gospel proclaimer to guiding and convicting the gospel hearer. That is what the Spirit is sent to do. And so if that is what the Spirit is sent to do, then what about us? It kind, of, it kind of feels like God has just kind of taken up the whole task and just... It's like how if, uh, you know, Asian moms like cooking and want to teach their children to cook. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what happened with Maggie. Like she, uh, she, she was learning to cook, but you know, mom just can't help but like just kind of take over. And like, I'll do it myself. Like, you know, it's kind of, this kind of sounds a bit like that, right? Like God, God's going, you know what? You need to go and proclaim the gospel, but you know what? I'm going to accomplish the gospel and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all of this work. So then what's there left for us to do? Well, that's where we come to the third and final sending of God's mission. Having sent the Son to accomplish the gospel, and having promised to send the Spirit to guide people to the truth of the gospel, how does God then spread the good news of His salvation throughout the world? Well, He sends us. He sends us to proclaim the gospel to the world. Uh, you know, uh, the Spirit might be at work in drawing people to the gospel, but people still need to share it. People still need to spread it. People still need to proclaiming. He sends us to proclaim the gospel to the world, and in doing so, to make disciples of all nations. He sends us to be messengers of the gospel, to speak the good news of Jesus so that others may hear and respond. He also sends us to be ambassadors of the gospel, bearing witness to the goodness of this news so that others may see and so respond. Now, on the one hand, that sounds quite simple. All we've got to do is proclaim the gospel, live it out, to do so boldly, 
to do so knowing uh, that Jesus has already uh, accomplished the gospel, that the Spirit empowers us to do so. And yet, we all, know that, uh, we all know from experience that proclaiming the gospel can be one of the most difficult things for us to do as Christians, to the, f- to the point where we can feel overly burdened by the task, even to the point of feeling uh, resentment because of it. But it's worth remembering this. God is not sending us to do something impossible or unrealistic. He's not asking us to do something unreasonable. He's not getting us to do the dirty work that he's unwilling to do. He's not, he's not setting us up for failure. No, he sends us to participate in a mission in which he has already done the heavy lifting. In which we have already been undeserving beneficiaries of. And in which, in which he has no need for us and yet extends the privilege of participation towards us anyway. That that Jesus sends us into the world to proclaim the gospel uh, should be reason enough for us to embrace mission in our lives. Jesus directly commands us to do so. But the reality is we can still get caught up with all of these negative feelings towards mission that hinder us from pursuing mission that hinder us from proclaiming the gospel in our lives. Which is why it is important to know that when Jesus sends us, he sends us in his spirit. He sends us in his spirit. You see, when you're faced with the guilt that comes from being complacent in mission, we need to remember that our sinful hearts naturally tend towards rejecting what is good, even the good of the gospel. And so just like we need the Spirit to guide our hearts towards receiving the gospel, so we also need the Spirit to guide our hearts towards embracing our sending into the world. When faced with the fear of proclaiming the gospel to a hostile and unbelieving world, we need to remember that the Spirit will protect and comfort us by assuring us of the truth and goodness of the gospel we proclaim. And that our eternal life is secure in Jesus. No amount of hatred and hostility can take that away from us. When faced with the feeling of weakness and powerlessness, we need to remember that we are indeed weak. But Jesus is strong. It is His Spirit which empowers us to press on in proclaiming the gospel. And it is His Spirit which takes our weak preaching and proclaiming of the gospel and guides its hearers to the, to the precious truth that it contains. See, when Jesus sends us to proclaim the gospel, he sends us in the power of the Spirit. Which means that even in the part of God's plan where it's up to us to do something, God is ultimately the one at work. He is the one at work in and through us helping us to overcome our unwillingness and enabling us to embrace his mission to save the world. Now, friends, this ought to free us to see our sending into the world not as burdensome or inconvenient or uncomfortable, but to see it as a great privilege 
and honor and delight. What a privilege it is that God will be pleased to involve us in his mission to save the world. What an honor it is that God would use our weak proclamation and witness of the gospel to draw the lost to himself. What a delight it is to be given such a precious gospel, to be saved by it, and then to be entrusted to share it with the nations. So friends, what have we heard this morning? The triune God sends in order to save the world. The Father sends the Son to accomplish the gospel. The Son sends the Spirit to declare the gospel. And the Son sends us in the Spirit to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And this is God's mission. And so the encouragement and challenge for all of us today is this. Will we delight in being sent? Will we delight in being sent on God's mission? Will we embrace the call to proclaim the gospel boldly and confidently, knowing that the triune God is the one ultimately at work in and through us, pursuing His mission to save the world? Because the reality is, is that if you have responded to the gospel by believing in Jesus and receiving eternal life, the reality is that you are already sent. You are already sent. God's sending is not opt-in. It's not like Jesus is uh, gathering all us to get, calling us all together and says, okay, which one of you wants to go and proclaim the gospel? And only the most keen and serious Christians go, oh, yes, here I am, send me. No, if you follow Jesus... You are sent. You are sent. And, that is some, and if that is something that makes you feel uncomfortable, then know that you're not alone. I'm right there with you. But know also that when we are sent, we are in fact not alone. We are sent in the Spirit, and He helps us to overcome our unwillingness. God is with us, even as he is sending us. But it's not, a, it's not just that we are not alone because God is with us. We are also not alone because we are all sent. God isn't sending just you. It's not just up to you to save the world. He is sending all of us. We're all in this together. And friends, that's one of the beautiful things about being uh, part of the church. What is one of the beautiful things of being the church? We are partners in the gospel. We are sent together. You know, as, we, as we proclaim the gospel, as we bear witness to it in our lives, as we embrace our sending, we do so together in community as gospel partners in God's mission. And this partnership that we have together can be expressed in many different ways. Uh, most importantly, uh, we express it by praying for one another because we know that ultimately uh, God's mission is God's work. This is why we have regular mission spots. 
so we can pray for our gospel partners who have been sent to serve in other countries, in, in other ministries outside of SLE Church. Uh, this is why we have a country-specific prayer groups, uh, to pray for other countries in the world. That's why it's good to share with one another the friends and family that we are seeking to share the gospel with so that you can be praying for each other because we're in this together. We express this partnership also uh, through financial means. Uh, We recognize that not everyone is going to become a missionary. Not everyone's going to be a missionary in a country overseas. Not everyone's going to be a gospel worker here at SLE Church or in other uh, ministries. And so we send some people overseas, or we send some people into gospel ministry by giving financially. We partner in the gospel together. We recognize that we are sent together by financially giving, both individually and as a church, to other gospel workers and missionaries. We also express our partnership by proclaiming the gospel to each other. We realize that part of being sent, being on mission, is to proclaim the gospel to each other, to other Christians. We do that every Sunday. We do that every time we meet in Grogu's. We proclaim the gospel to each other. We bear witness to the gospel to one another. And see, when you share with each other your struggles with mission, then take the opportunity to speak the truth in love, to share an encouragement from the gospel, to spur them on in that good work. When you have a breakthrough in sharing the gospel with someone, share that with your grow group so that uh, you can give thanks together, so that you can be encouraged, you can be, uh, you can be mutually spurred on. Now, I'm, I'm personally um, always uplifted and encouraged when I hear stories of people being bold, uh, people being bold in proclaiming the gospel, whether that's uh, you know, someone having an awesome conversation during street evangelism or even something just as small as having the courage to tell their colleagues, finally, that they are a Christian. Uh, that encourages me, even if that makes me feel a bit guilty. It still encourages me. And so why don't we do that? Why, why don't we proclaim the gospel to each other, bear witness to the gospel to one another, uh, and do that together? And of course, we can express our partnership by proclaiming the gospel, not just to one another, but by proclaiming the gospel together. You know, you might have a friend who you've been sharing the gospel with for years. Or you might have a friend who you've never dared to talk to about Jesus. If you're, if you're finding it hard to proclaim the gospel to them, why not uh, tag team with someone at church? Introduce them to someone at church. Someone who knows how to, who, who know, you know will talk to them about the gospel. Or, or, you know, you might be like me. You, you, it might not be that you don't have friends. Uh, you, you don't, you, there's a friend that you've been sharing the gospel with or you don't dare to share the gospel with. You might be like me and just not have any friends who are not Christian in Brisbane. Uh, why not ask your friends at church to introduce you to their non-Christian friends? Why don't you introduce me to your non-Christian friends uh, so I can feel guilty and then, you know, proclaim the gospel as well? <laughs> we express our partnership by sharing the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel together. In two weeks' time, we have a wonderful opportunity to partner together to proclaim the gospel through Christmas at home. Uh, if, if you haven't signed up yet, then, then, then I hope that what we've heard today just spurs you on to, to take that step, to sign up, to go on the website, fill in the form, say, yes, I'd love to host, or I'd love to come along. Why not do so today? If you have friends in mind to invite, then pray for them. 
invite them. If they say no, that's okay. If they do say yes, then great. Um, if you don't invite them, if they all say no, then what? you can go and meet someone else's friends. Uh, that's the beauty of what we're trying to do with Christmas at home. We're trying to proclaim the gospel together as a church. So let me leave you with a question to close. What will you do over the next few weeks to grow your delight in being sent on God's missions? Friends, if you struggle with delighting in mission, then perhaps you could give some of those things that I just mentioned a go. Participating in mission, even if you're not really taking joy in it, uh, participating in mission in small ways alongside other gospel partners can be a great way of fueling your desire, fueling your passion and delight for the mission that God has already sent you on. What will you be doing? What can you be doing in the next few weeks to grow your delight in the gospel, to grow your delight in being sent to proclaim the gospel? Friends, we've been reminded this morning that the triune God has sent us on his mission to proclaim and witness to his gospel together. As we gather on Sundays and in our grow groups, we encourage one another. We pray for one another. We even find opportunities to proclaim and witness together to the friends and families that we bring. But as we gather, we are then also sent out into the world to proclaim and witness to the gospel in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, and amongst our friends. And we do so enabled and empowered by the Spirit. And we do so with great delight, counting it a great privilege to be sent by God for this task and expressing joy in our partnership together in the gospel. So to finish up, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a reminder of our gospel partnership. And at the end of that, I'm going to send us out with a prayer, and then we'll sing together to close. But before we get into that, why don't you take a quiet moment now to reflect on what you've heard this morning, and then we'll begin the Lord's Supper together.